find in your Bibles Hebrews chapter 8. And as you turn to Hebrews chapter 8, find verse 10. I am continuing, this is installment number 9 in my message and, and teaching, preaching on the blood covenant. And it's really been exciting. I've just, I myself, I've been preaching to myself and I've been throughout the week putting into practice what we've been learning. It's been exciting. It's been a blessing. And I hope it's been a blessing to you like it has been for me. Um, so I, I can't go over each week what we've laid down up till this point. Apparently that there's obviously been a lot. There's been eight messages. But by the way, all those messages are available online for free. Download or listen to them online. Just go to faithchristianchurch.com, pull down our menu that says messages. It's usually up about within a half hour or so after the service. No shortcuts. No shortcuts. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. I just want you to think about that for a few minutes. And uh, let's see if we can just fill that thought out for you in uh, relative to the blood covenant. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and I will write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. The blood covenant is not a shortcut to the blessings of God. Jesus didn't die to leave his wealth. I know we call it the New Testament or will. People have referred to it as Jesus' will. Um, however, the fact of the matter is that We're on? All right. Excellent. So Jesus didn't die to leave us a will that we just go through and, and pick out, you know, those, those uh, pieces of his will that apply to us. Although this may sound really contrary to what I usually preach because his word is a will for us. But bear with me, okay? I'm not trying to be provocative, but I just want you to think a little bit that the reality is that, that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. So Jesus didn't die to leave you his wealth. What he did was he rose from the dead in order to give you his life. That is the blood covenant. That was the purpose of the blood covenant, to take the two parties and combine them together to create one new party. And that's why God the Father symbolized as that fire and Jesus Christ as the sun, symbolized by that furnace with the smoke coming out of it, passed between those ritual uh, animal sacrifices back in Genesis 15 and in Genesis 17 when the Lord was making that covenant with Abraham. So that covenant was made between God and God, made with himself. But the sun represents us, and that covenant produced for us Jesus, the eternal God, coming into the world to make us one with the Father. So that's the whole purpose of the blood covenant, is to bring forth a new 
creation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, most people have at least heard the verse, chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. But I want you to listen to it with kind of a running start from verse 15. And I'm just going to read verse 15 and verse 17. But listen to the thought and how it flows. Jesus died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new species, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so that scripture we often quote about being a new creation or a new species in Christ was, was um, <clears throat> it was set up uh, by God speaking through the Apostle Paul and saying to us, Jesus died for all of us. When we receive him, we consider ourselves no longer to be dead in sin, but in that we've been raised up, the purpose is that we live for him. So we're not raised up just to live a second start, a rebound, a restart, but to live for him. Christianity really doesn't work if you're not living, literally living for Jesus. And that phrase gets lost, and I think the impact of what it means to live for Jesus just gets sort of diluted and washed out with Christian religion. But the reality is, is that God is saying something challenging and powerful to us today, that we are no longer to live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised for us. Therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, a new species. All right, so the blood covenant made you a child of God, brought divine nature into your life, reconstituted you, made a new species, a new creation out of you. You're not just um, humanity with a do-over but you, you have been transformed in your spirit and in your soul, and that transformation is continuing as you and I walk with the Lord. So the blood covenant makes you a child of God. Now listen carefully, because here, here is the, this is the, the part of that statement that gives us something to do. Therefore, the blessings of the covenant, they work through the process of relationship. We've been made children of God, so it stands to reason that we're not like the surviving relative who's gotten a will, and we go off in our own life, and we take the proceeds of that will and just kind of jam them into our life, and, and you know, hopefully it helps us to keep doing what we're doing and being what we want to be. But instead, the, the new covenant, the blood covenant, has made us children of God, so it stands to reason that's through the process of relationship with God that we access the blessings of the covenant. And to that, there are no shortcuts. So being a Christian is about being Christ-like. It's not about trying to act like Christ. It's about being Christ-like. As it says in 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation. Old things pass away. It's, it's, it's not about avoiding the process of relationship with God, staying in your carnal self while God uh, sends 
emails blessings to you. Uh, instead, it's about relating with the Father every single day. He becomes the, he becomes the center of your life. There's a little verse in the small book of 3 John. It's single chapter book, and the second verse says, I pray that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. So you see, he's talking about the blessings and the provisions of the blood covenant, what God has provided for us in Christ. But you can also see in that verse that the feature of the blood covenant is your soul prospering. In other words, relationship with God. So as your relationship with the Father deepens and grows and you are being transformed, you are being changed and affected by that relationship, then the blessings follow that transformation. So I pray that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Um, we love the word grace. Grace always you know, it comes from that Greek word charis, which means gift. It always gives us a sense of, of God uh, giving us things. And God does give us things. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God is a gift giver. And um, he is not a harsh taskmaster. He is a giver, a lavish giver. But we think about his giving nature when we think about grace. But let me just say to you that the highest purpose of the grace of God is your relationship with the Father. That is what grace is most concerned with, is your fellowship with the Father. And so grace is the power to transform, not permission to stay the same. Grace has a hope. Grace has an expectation. Grace is in your life for a reason. The reason is to bring you closer to the Father, and the closer you get, the more like Jesus you become. And so that is when grace is really working in your life. Unfortunately, our religion has sometimes given the, the, uh, the misrepresentation of grace that grace is kind of God's permission. You know, this is the way I am, but the Lord loves me anyway. You know, Paul said in Corinthians, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And we tend to read that with this kind of rhythm. I am what I am by the grace of God. So you could see somebody saying, well, I am what I am and God's cool with that. I am what I am and God understands. And we think that's, that's what that verse means. I am what I am by the grace of God. But what Paul was really saying is probably expressed with this kind of a rhythm. I am what I am by the grace of God. You remember Paul's the one who said, we're a new creation in Christ. He also is the one who said in Galatians 2.20, um, I live, but not I. Christ lives in me in the life I now live. So Paul absolutely had that grasp on the fact that the, the blood covenant had finished off his old life. And if you were like the Apostle Paul, you were probably glad because of the guilt that he carried about the way he lived. Most of us have not lived in the, the depths of sin that Paul lived in. You might think, well, he's quite a religious guy. Probably, <clears throat> he probably wasn't out getting high and uh, um, uh, immoral and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, sin the way heaven sees it is not always the way man parses it out. 
God sees the offense against him as being the greater sins uh, rather than the, and please don't get me wrong when I use the term moral boo-boos, but rather than the, the moral mistakes and stumblings that we have, don't, don't underestimate the power of moral boo-boos because if left unrepented of, they fester in your life and turn into greater things. But the point is that um, grace is there to develop your relationship with the Father, first and foremost. So I just want you to get that transformed in your mind. Now, I've said a couple of times, there are no shortcuts. So I want you to consider something. I want you to think about creation for a moment. That God created every living thing on earth to come forth, grow, and reproduce through a process of development. Nothing just by magic, popped into existence. Everything reproduces through the process of development. That's God's universal principle, and it governs reality. So we see it everywhere around us. There are no shortcuts. So from the seed to the tree, from the womb to the wedding, everything requires cultivation. Um. From skills to relationships to dreams, there are no shortcuts to process. It's the same with the blessings of the blood covenant. They're not magic. They're not um, anything less than the benefits of our relationship with the Father. That is how we access the blessings. That's how we, you know, if you're reading, for example, those first 14 verses in Deuteronomy 28, where it talks about the blessings of the Old Testament, how you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country and uh, blessed when you're fishing in your motorboat and blessed when you're, you know, making breakfast and I'm, just every conceivable thing, you're blessed. And then the rest of the chapter talks about if you rebel and, uh, uh, um, and don't walk with God, these are the curses that'll come on you. They'll just come on you because we live in a toxic world of sin and so it's a dangerous world. But those blessings are there. They are the blessings of the covenant. And of course, in the New Testament, you know, the, the lid was just pulled off and were given blessings like eternal life and peace. And by his stripes, we were healed. And we have access to really miraculous provisions. And the, the church has talked most of its people over the centuries out of those blessings because there's so few people that actually see in their lifetime the things the disciples saw when they were living with Jesus. But Jesus never intended those things to disappear. They were manifestations of he who is the product of the, the new covenant, the blood covenant. He was demonstrating the covenant through his life. But the reality is those blessings, they are a result of cultivating fellowship with the Father. I you know, I'm going to say that a few times throughout this message this morning. Forgive me for being redundant, but that's the first thing we forget. And we go back to thinking, if I just quote the verse right, if I just believe hard enough, and we put the strain and the stress on it, I'm reading this book, and I'm trying to learn this, and I'm, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. 
The technology of faith is the technology of faith. You don't want to be ignorant. Ignorance doesn't help anybody. But the reality is, it's your relationship with the Father that really is the heart of where blessing comes from in our life. And I hope I don't have to convince you of that. I hope that as a believer, it's touching something in your heart when you hear me say that this morning. However, here's the devil's job. The devil's job is to convince you that there is something called shortcuts. He always promotes the lie that there are shortcuts around the process of relationship with God. And by shortcuts, what we mean is abandoning the process of relationship and the goal of becoming Christ-like, but still inspecting God, expecting God to give the blessings because God is good. Everybody, every nut and his brother says God is good. You see him getting Academy Awards on TV. Praise God, God is good. And, and uh, it's just become a saying. But the reality is that we don't receive his blessings in life because God is good. We receive his blessing in life because we are, our fellowship with God is good. God is good. There's no doubt about it. If God weren't good, we'd all be in trouble. In fact, one of the things when I get down on my knees and begin to pray and really thank the Lord and uh, that it always amazes me is, is that God is the Almighty. So that means God could be anything he wants to be. I am so glad that God is love. If he wasn't, this would be really difficult. So I'm really glad that God is a father at his core, that he is agape, that he is love. That is just wonderful. That's a win-win for everyone who turns to him. But the devil's job is to convince us that there are shortcuts from the process and that because God's good, he'll just bless us. However, <clears throat> it's because of that misguided expectation in, sh of sh in, in shortcuts, expecting shortcuts, that many Christians have become disillusioned in their faith and have backed away, fallen away. And they've become upset because the formulas they thought should work didn't seem to work. But I'm here to tell you this morning, as much as I believe in principles, as much as I absolutely believe that Jesus meant every single word when he said, whosoever shall say to that mountain, be removed to be cast into the sea. So not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he said. And in the context with, with um, saying, have the faith of God. What things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. I believe every bit of that. And as much as I do see principles in there, if you want to call them a formula, formula, the fact is I know that it doesn't work outside of fellowship with the Lord. I know that you cannot replace a lack of relationship with God with anything. You can't just grab the, the New Testament and the promises and learn them and go out and execute them and expect them to work. Why? Because God isn't good? No, but because there are no shortcuts 
to the blood covenant. The whole purpose is fellowship with God, right? Let me give you, there's some really cool examples in Scripture. One of them, how many have heard in the book of Acts of the seven sons of Sceva? Sure, some of you guys have heard about it. Well, there was, a, there was a guy, they called him a vagabond Jew, which meant that he had a traveling deliverance show. And he had seven sons. His name was Sceva, and he and his seven boys would pop into town, and whatever demoniacs were in town or demon-oppressed people would come, and his, him and his seven sons would exercise those spirits, cast those spirits out. Um, we need some of that today. Uh, I don't know that we need vagabond uh, uh, deliverance ministries, but the seven sons of Sceva in, in the book of Acts, they, um, they heard about the disciples casting out devils in the name of Jesus. And they found a guy who was just chock full of devils. And they got a hold of him, and they went in, and they surrounded him in his house, and they said, we adjure you by Jesus who Paul preaches to come out of him. And the devil spoke up right through the man, spoke right back at him, and said, Jesus, I acknowledge, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then he got violent and beat all seven of them up. And the Bible says they ran out of the, I laugh every time I read it, I just, I see it. The Bible says they ran out of the house bloody and naked. He beat the clothes off of them, <laughs> tore those boys up. And I just laughed so hard. They must have been so bewildered. What was wrong? We used the formula. No relationship. There's no shortcuts. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no shortcuts. They use the right name and the right idea. The Lord wants people delivered from evil spirits. Absolutely. So why did the devil beat them up, but the disciples, when they did it, those devils came out? There's no shortcut to relationship with God. I'll give you another example also in the book of Acts. In chapter 19, the Christians... The new converts in Ephesus, they were preaching the gospel powerfully, and lots of people were coming to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says at one point, I'll just read it to you, uh, large numbers of, of new converts who had gotten saved, they gathered in, in the center of Ephesus. Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everyone. When the value of the books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins, which is roughly approximate to $10,000 today. The shortcut business is lucrative. I will say that. A lot of people make a lot of money selling shortcuts. But there's only one price. Jesus paid it through his blood called the blood covenant that'll give you the real thing, the real access to God. Well, the believers in Ephesus, these guys just got saved, and the first thing they were compelled to do was to forsake the shortcuts. Somebody, whoever preached the gospel to these guys, it was the Apostle Paul, whoever preached the gospel to these guys was preaching the right gospel because 
With their decision to receive Jesus came the decision to abandon the idea that they're shortcuts. They knew that to receive Jesus could cost them their life. But he was worth pursuing because, well, where else would we go? Who else are we going to receive if we don't receive Jesus? He's the only one who's got, who is God who came down from eternity and offered us to become sons of the living God. So you can see that, that uh, at different times, Believers abandon shortcuts because they don't work. And people that use shortcuts usually end up defeated, like the seven sons of Sceva. There's another scripture in Hebrews chapter 8. And it brings out the fact that the blood covenant is enforced or activated through the process of relationship, what I've been saying all morning. And it sounds like this. This sounds like this. I'll actually read it. This is what it says. For this is the covenant. Now, he's quoting a prophecy that was prophesied by Jeremiah and by Isaiah, both. Um, So this is a thus says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put, everyone say put. I will put my laws into their mind and writing them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they will be my people. So there is, it is in the nutshell. That's the goal of the the blood covenant, is that God is our God, we are his people. There's a oneness. But notice what God says he does in order for that blood covenant to be actually activated in your life. He says, I'm going to put my words in your mind, and I'm going to write them upon your heart. Was there anybody here who could say that once you received Jesus, at some point along the way, you had an experience where God magically, you have no idea how it got there, but all of a sudden you knew stuff you never knew before. And you just knew all this stuff, didn't read your Bible, you didn't didn't have any fellowship with God, just all of a sudden your mind was filled with the truth of, of God. No, there's a process. And it's not just, in the case of the blood covenant, it's not just learning. It's not just academics. It's fellowship. It's communion and fellowship. We don't learn by sitting at a desk and having Holy Ghost teacher say point one, point two, point three. I know that we can, we can get information from the Bible that way, but the way we actually learn in a way that's transformative to our life is on our knees. When we take those lessons and we work them out and allow them to replace what previously went on in our mind, how does God write them in your mind? How does he put them in your mind? How does he write it on your heart? That bespeaks a process, does it not? So the word put, I just figured I'd look it up. I will put my words in their minds. So I looked it up, and I kind of half suspected that it might sound, it might be something that, it, that um, uh, suggested God injected. He put, he, he stuck his word in there. Um, and I thought if it really means that, I am going to have a hard time with this message, getting the point across. I was so happy to find out that that Greek word put means to give, to offer, to grant, to bestow. 
So you see that God's laws are not installed or injected into our minds, but they must be received through process of fellowship. And you say, well, how long does it take? Let me serve the question back to you. How long do you intend for it to take? How long is it going to take for you and I to get serious with God? Some people just sit in church week after week, year after year, and they really never get to the place of seriousness. Um, They pray and ask the Lord for help when emergencies arise in their life. And then when oftentimes those prayers don't seem to have received a direct answer, they kind of dismiss the result as saying, well, God's busy um, or something. There's some reason for it. But we should not be dismissing those things. The covenant clearly states, clearly states that God has given us great promises, blessings, and advantages. And you know what? I'm going to be honest and say, I'm following him because Jesus revealed himself to me when I was an atheist. And I said, if there's a God, I, I want God. And, uh, and I, but finding out that he had benefits doesn't bother me at all. I am in it for the benefits. But I was in it for Jesus before I knew there was any benefits involved. So that scripture says, I will write them upon your mind and in your heart. So to summarize, the Lord is saying, let his words transform your mind and heart into Christ-likeness as your relationship with him becomes the most important thing in your life. That's really what he's saying. That is the way to receive the benefits of the blood covenant, is to make your fellowship with God the Father the heartbeat of your life. I could live without my left arm if I had to, but I can't live without people. I'm not saying I can't live without Jesus. I'm saying I can't live without fellowship with Jesus. Everybody says, oh, I can't live without God, but they live without him every day. I'm not putting anybody down. I hope you understand what I mean by that. I mean, you're not without him. If you're saved, he lives in your heart and he's there in your life. But most of us do go skipping through life without really having an intimate fellowship, an intimate relationship. We leave it up to the pastor to have that. Um, I think a lot of Christians don't really think that it's, it's, it's their calling. I'm not really called to have that kind of a relationship. But that isn't so. The Lord didn't save two classes of people. He didn't save the ones that he wanted to call to serve the Lord in some kind of a ministerial capacity. And then everyone else is is kind of, you know, at the back of the train. And so there are no shortcuts. Finally, I'd like to share this verse with you out of Isaiah chapter 1. And I want you to see that God calls you and I to reason the process of relationship he, when he speaks to us, when he's wooing us, when he's drawing us, I want you to get an inside look at how the Father draws us, calling us to reason with him. Okay, so this is Isaiah 1, verse 18 through 20. God said, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, 
you can become white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. If you have a willing attitude and obey, then you will again eat the good crops of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Know for certain that the Lord has spoken. So God is saying, let's reason together. Let me lay the case out for you. Instead of just slamming them with a commandment, not explaining the necessity or the importance of it, he approaches them with reason. He says, please consider that if you don't eat my word, your trials will eat you. That's exactly what he said. He said, if you have a willing attitude and will obey, you're, you're pursuing relationship with me, then again, you will eat the good crops of the land. But if not, your trials will devour you. You will be eaten. So you either eat the blessings of God or you become eaten by the life that you escaped by receiving Jesus as Lord. There is no shortcut and there's no middle ground. It's a decision that God's people have always had to make. And you know, we really have to make that decision in the atmosphere of our world today. So again, God does not have shortcuts um, around our need to relate with him from our hearts. You know, since the fall of man, God has always desired and intended to help us find our way to give us true answers to our questions, and to heal our lives. And he did all of it through the blood covenant. And he did it by giving us himself. He didn't just give us information for those answers. He doesn't just give us shortcuts like those books of magic. You know, if you just quote these enchantments, this is what you'll get. Instead, what did he give us? He gave us himself. What do you do with him? You worship him as your father. You treat him as dad. You have companionship with him, like Jesus, your, your good shepherd, your, your older brother. He is all of those relational things to you and I. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say, I'll show you the way, or I'll, I'll explain the truth, or I'll give you the life. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Relate with me. You'll be relating with the Father. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. So if I could summarize that, I would say that all of our earthly needs hinge upon the desperate need for transformation of our nature that has been collapsed in sin. And the only way that, that God can deliver us from a collapsed nature, collapsed in sin, is to give us himself. The entire reason that the blood covenant was given can be summed up in the fact that God could do nothing less than give us himself. Praise the Lord. Um, God could not save us with a commandment. We see how that turned out. Nothing wrong with the commandments, but he couldn't save us with a commandment. He couldn't save us by destroying the devil. 
or he would have done it. But we were slaves to Satan through our sin. Destroying the devil would have destroyed us along with him. The only way was the blood covenant offering himself. And Hebrews 6, 13 says, when God made that blood covenant promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Another way we would say that today is he collateralized the blood covenant with himself. He put himself up as collateral. He said to Abraham, I will bless you, make your seed as the stars of heaven. All the nations of the world would be blessed through you. He's speaking of a a messianic savior that would come affect the entire world. And he said, nothing short of me giving you myself is going to do. He collateralized the promise with himself, and that's who Jesus was. He came into the world crucified. He came into the world to go to Calvary and to give us a death that would free us from death. Could you say amen? You know, God knew fully that the blood covenant would uh, uh, require him to collateralize himself and to give us himself. And that's why there are no shortcuts to the blessings of God. We must walk in our relationship with him because all of our needs are met in becoming Christ-like. The more we're like him, the more we're with him. He came down from the mountain. He selected 12, it says, to be with him. The more we're with him, the more our needs are met. Praise the Lord. So here's our altar call this morning. It's very simple. In response to this message, this message today is all about truly walking in the full power and the benefits of the blood covenant with Jesus as Lord of our life. That's what this is about. And in the blood covenant, our Heavenly Father has provided for you to be an unconquerable overcomer but there's no shortcuts in becoming that overcomer. Your relationship with him is what produces that result. And the Holy Spirit is not gonna bulldoze your will into submission or use you like a puppet. You must willingly open your mind. Let your thoughts be changed by his word. Open your heart, let him write on your heart. That's what prayer is about. I can learn all kinds of things, read books, read my Bible, but it's when I'm on my knees and I'm talking to the Father about what He's been showing me. I'm working it out in that relationship. That's when it begins to be written, my heart. That's where my heart changes. I can have all this jammed up in my head, but God wants to write it on your heart. Here's the altar call. Are you letting God's words rule your mind Are you letting him write them upon your heart?